This week's guest is Ulysses Sanchez. Currently residing in Stratford, Ontario, Ulysses was born in Moscow, Russia, while his Cuban parents worked for the Cuban Embassy. As a result, Ulysses split his time growing up between his family home in Havana, Cuba and Moscow. Eventually immigrating to Canada in 2008, we talk with Ulysses on topics such as storytelling through bartending, making connections between staff and clientele, and the concept of becoming a bar figure. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. I am Kip, your host. This is Dan. That's me, Dan. Things are great as usual. I know. I'm, I'm an adult. A yes. little foggy today. It's the, uh, what, 18th of October? That is uh, correct. It yeah. is the 18th, Sunday afternoon. Watch a little bit of football uh, and see how things go. Got a little wasted last night watching the uh, lomachenko Lopez yeah. fight. Um that yeah. is correct. So, and, uh, man. We'll see how this goes. We have, <laughs> we have a great guest, though, as always. <laughs> um, we'll get through the housekeeping. As usual, if you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us tremendously. Um, if you are in the service industry and you'd like to tell your story, that's what we do here, telling the stories of the people in the service industry, just uh, DM us at the Industry Podcast. Um, and uh, I should probably just turn my phone off and be a professional here. Uh, uh, the, trust me, after this episode, I'm <laughs> <laughs> a professional here. Okay, <laughs> and he's our guest. Uh, yeah, just DM us at the Industry Podcast, and we will uh, hit you up and uh, bring you on the show for a talk. Um, I think, uh, once again, a shout-out to Zach Hanna at Zach Hanna Design. That's Z-A-K for all the great artwork. Uh, that's correct. There'll be a link in the show notes at the bottom uh, if you want to get a hold of them. All right. So let's get right to this to prove we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> we got a great guest for you today. Uh, Ulysses Sanchez is with us today. How you doing, Yuli? Good, good. Pretty good. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, Definitely. thanks for doing this, man. It's good. Uh, good to see you. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Okay, well, let's just dive right into this. Uh, I, I know we want to take a more sort of uh, big picture slant on this um today's episode but let's uh i i I do think it's interesting to focus a little bit on your upbringing because i'm sure it added a lot to how you view the industry and uh so let's just start you were born in moscow yep actually yeah i was born in the old ussr and my parents used to work there for the embassy and uh, you know i was born there and then uh, we went back to cuba because i'm originally you know from cuba my parents are uh, so it's funny because, uh, you know, uh, Cuba and Russia had a lot of history uh, mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of, the, you know, there were two communist countries. Uh, and uh, after, actually, the, the interesting part is, like, uh, I went back to Cuba when I was uh, one year old. Mm-hmm. And I did all my... Uh, I mean, I was there for probably nine years until I went back to Moscow again. And I did all my high school there. I saw the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, pretty much uh, uh, a lot of drama, you know, uh, around that time. uh, USSR, uh, you know, was a a big power machine and still is, but as a Russia right now, uh, now, uh, yeah, like, so I did pretty much all my subjects in high school in Russian, uh, and yeah, it was really challenging as a person, but it gave me a lot of confidence too, 
you know, to put myself in situations that are like really uh, weird and uh, the, you know, it's nothing that we cannot do uh, as a person unless we say, oh, no, I can't do that, right? Well, Uh, I I have a couple of questions for you about this. Um, First of all, how many languages do you speak? Well, I, I mean... I speak three languages, but yeah. I understand like uh, five to six. Wow. And I can speak like probably uh, with different people. Uh, that I, I understand Italian. I can speak, you know, Italian right. a little bit and uh, Portuguese. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, I can understand like five to six languages. Okay. Uh, but fluent uh, three, uh, Russian, uh, uh, Spanish, English, and uh, I actually study a little bit of uh, the Ukraine dialect, but uh, yeah. I, I well, you're, in, you're in Dan's wheelhouse. Yeah. He's, he's oh, nice. Yeah. 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 So, so can you actually like write in Cyrillic as well, for, like for Russian and Ukrainian as well? Can you write? Well, no, I, I can write in Russia more, Ukraine. Like it was really hard for me because after I was taught uh, how to, uh, you know, uh, write and read in, in, in uh, Russian. Like, it was really hard to, you know, because I, I live in Ukraine for uh, six months. And my parents, uh, they moved there. And it was really interesting because, like, you know, I still remember that we couldn't uh, buy vegetables at, at certain a- in certain areas because of the what happened in Chernobyl, right? Mm-hmm. When the reactor exploded uh, around, night, uh, what was it? Uh, 1986, maybe? Yeah, 19... it's uh, mid-80s for yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, I was there in Ukraine in 1992. 1992. Uh, we saw, like, the city, really wow. interesting city. Like, uh, I have some memories about it, but uh, uh, and the school, too, that I went. Uh, but uh, I, I'm not... I, I, I might see, uh, I can read probably some stuff, but I, I'm not fluent at it. I'm not uh, really uh, uh, good. Uh, but Russian, yeah, Russian, I can, uh, Russian language, of course, yeah. And what, uh, what uh, was it like growing up under, like, essentially two communist regimes? Of, uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think people will be interested in hearing a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's crazy. Well, like, uh, you know, when you're in a situation, you don't think that... That is that weird, know. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, basically, uh, in R- Russia, I mean, Cuba, it was completely different than Russia, of course, you know, a mm-hmm. different country. We were... It's, it's a lot of history behind the countries, and, and, you know, you get that feeling when you live in a country, too. Uh, Cuba was like, you know, a colony of Spain for so many years and a colony of the United States. So uh, you get the vibe of Spanish colonial architecture. If you've been to Cuba, you know, you've been to all Havana. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really cool. It's, it's so like, beautiful. I love it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like being all Quebec or... Uh, so, uh, and then like, of course, some parts of the city uh, of Havana that I'm uh, from, uh, that, you know, have been touched by the influence of the Americans. So the Americans or, or you know, the people that, the uh, yeah, the Americans pretty much. So anyway, uh, uh, living in, in, a, in a country that is a, a socialist is completely different. Uh, the perspective of, uh, of from the moment that they teach you how to uh, speak, how to, uh, the studies are different, right? Like, uh, 
So it's some pros and cons that, you know, we can go through. But uh, uh, I think so the main part is like you are going to learn, uh, you know, a lot uh, in this under these uh, conditions uh, because they, they, they focus a lot into teaching uh, uh, and uh, providing good systems of education. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's the positive part. The, the negative part is like after you're done studying and you become like, you know, an engineer or, or I, I actually study psychology, mm-hmm. uh, major in psychology in the University of Havana, then you cannot find a good job. And that's the hard part. Right, oh, right. Because, because then you, they tell you, okay, you need to study to become a free man, right? But how can you become a free man if you cannot find a job? Right, right? yeah. So it's some co- contradictions uh, uh, in the society, uh, especially in Cuba, you can see cop drivers that they are like engineers or mm-hmm. doctors. Mm-hmm. And for they make more money driving uh, tourists around than uh, finding a job uh, working yeah. for the for the government, right? So, do you uh, can you put, pinpoint anything from growing up in USSR or Cuba that you found, or even with your psychology degree for that matter, for uh, that you found helped you with your chosen career now in the service industry, or is it all completely unrelated? Well, uh, no, I think so. Everything. Uh, you know, connects in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, like, I, I was uh, I, I I was in the University of Havana studying uh, psychology, but I also didn't mention that I, I was a, a musician as well. So I okay. studied music for for ten ye- uh, ten to fifteen years. Uh, so uh, I, I had you know I was training classical guitar, uh, and uh, I think so between the psychology of bars and, you know, how you need to approach the people, talk to them, predicting uh, a lot of things. Uh, I have this uh, kind of term that I sometimes I call like, uh, what is the term? Like uh, um, uh, predictable uh, choices or predictable, uh, something that is going to happen anyway. Right. And you know, uh, 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 so anyway, uh, I think so that uh, uh, between the music, I, I, I always was, you know, when I was playing, I was on a stage, mm-hmm. in the stage, and uh, it gave me that confidence to jump behind the bar because the bar, when when I feel uh, that I'm at the bar, I feel like I'm in my own stage, right? I'm performing. Right. And, and I usually try to combine that uh, artistic uh, approach, uh, you know, in the way that we make cocktails or or that we talk to people or, or the show behind, right? Uh, from the moment that you flame a drink that you... Uh, so I, I usually look at the bar like in a stage, you know, and uh, the psychology, of course, helped me a lot to deal with uh, uh, people. Uh, also, it gave me the strength to understand that just because you uh, are still like learning something or something is new to you uh, you know you you just need to you cannot get discouraged uh, you just need to keep fighting because later it becomes comfortable and and uh, it's part of the learning process of any person uh, uh, something feels uncomfortable now after a month it's just you know you can do it with your eyes closed mm-hmm. so 
uh, again, uh, I think so that the part of living in countries that were uh, so different too, it gives you an annoying mentality of how to approach things too, right? Mm -hmm. Because not every single person thinks in the same way. That's right. Uh, and, and do you think that's an important, because um, I do, I feel like, like I did a lot of traveling when I was done university, saw many different cultures and like, I think that that brings you forward with sort of a mentality of exactly what you're talking about, where every single person is different, but we all have similarities. So if of you, course, yeah. yeah, so you can talk to anybody, you just got to find out what they're about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. That's it. Yeah, that's true. And finding that common ground is what it makes people to, you know, feel comfortable. And uh, even if you think different, it doesn't mean that you cannot fi find that common ground. Uh, I, I, it happens a lot in, in, you know, in bar and restaurants. Usually uh, when I'm busy and I'm trying to, uh, my mind is somewhere else, I try to introduce somebody else. Hey, you know, have you met my, uh, my bartender or, or this server that they're great? And then they start talking. And in, in one second, if I didn't have the chance to make the connection, they would do it. And, and then I would jump in later and try to keep uh, reinforcing the connection. Mm. Uh, so it's multiple ways that you can, you know, uh, connect with people. I think so. people love to connect. And, and when they go out and they're sitting on a bar, uh, if they meet more than one person for them, that's, that's pretty cool. That's a, yeah, it's a night. They, yeah. 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 Because then they not only meet you that you're serving them. They're also meeting the other person and serving other people. And, by the end of the day, that person will come back and say, hey, you know what? I feel like I know more than one person at that bar, not only the person that was serving me. So That's an interesting way to look at it because I I think I, and, and probably a lot of people in our industry do that without even really analyzing it that in that way where it's kind of like, oh, you're a regular, you're a new person at the bar. It's like, oh, you should probably talk to this regular. He's sitting by himself or she's sitting by herself. And it's like, oh, like you guys might have something in common. Next thing you know, that's how you build a group of regulars in a weird way. Yeah. So it works for a community of people coming to your bar. But it also, I mean, it's also great for business because now you've, mm -hmm. added, you've added another person who feels comfortable coming to your bar by themselves, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a different ways that you can look how you your history, in a way, added to the person that you are today, it happens to every person too. Like, uh, even if you were born in the same community or far away from that community, uh, it's always uh, like you. We relate by storytelling mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, and uh, we are so intrigued by other people's life, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't watch TV, right? Like that's true. Yeah, like, <laughs> TV is like the main source of finding stories. Oh my God! Oh, look at what these people are doing. Oh, look at so. Uh, I, I think it's so interesting that uh, in the old days when we didn't have TV, okay, people were going to these bars, let's say 19, I don't know, 19 uh, before Prohibition mm -hmm. or whatever, especially in North America. And there, there, it was a lot of storytelling. Like people, they were feeding themselves so much by going there. I say, oh, you remember this drink that was created in 1800 and this and blah, blah, blah. So anyway... Uh, that that's why when you go to a bar and you and you see a great bartender, uh, you think, oh man, that dream was phenomenal. But also the story that came behind with that cocktail was like uh, make the person to be cultivated in the moment, right? Like mm. uh, it's a great point of selling drinks. Sometimes I do it when you know I love so many spirit forward classic drinks, 
And when I say, hey, you know, this dream was, uh, you know, uh, uh, made around the 1920s and it was created at this bar or whatever, people are like, yeah, I want to try that uh, because it's something uh, more than the ingredients too. Because ingredients are beautiful. And sometimes you, we get so crazy on, oh, how can we wow our customers? So how can we make them feel that we're doing uh, the best? But a good storytelling can do that, right? Yeah, so. that's an interesting point. And I also feel like, um, to your point about wowing the guests, it's also, it's, it's gotten to this point in uh, mixology, for, for the people can do what they want with that term, but uh, in mixology mm -hmm. that like, we're also almost trying to wow our fellow industry people more than anything else, right? Like, is when is it going to stop? When is it going to stop? When right? is it going to stop? I agree like with you. you. Smoke, like, you have a smoke, you have fire, yeah. you have a dry ice, you're going to burn down the house, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what it's going to stop. It's going to be the first, the first bar insurance claim by death by smoke. <laughs> that's when it's going to have to fucking stop. Yeah. <laughs> But, but wait, that's not enough. Let's, yeah. let's make it three that is worth $100, right? Like, yeah, well, that's the thing. You know? Like, I, I agree with you so much. I'm glad we're bringing this up because there, like, at some point, there's got to be a breaking point of this. Where And really, it all comes back to what you were talking about earlier, where like, it's the classics that we're all still building on. You're just adding an extra ingredient. Yep. You're adding another ingredient. You're adding a show to it like to try and you're adding like fucking garnishes that take a week like to make yeah 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 like it's just yeah, it's, it's got possible. yeah so like we're, we're, that you see especially on instagram yeah like you can see it's an instagram cocktail like yeah. just during service it's not it's impossible yeah you know? and maybe that's fine like let's just make a distinguishing difference between instagram cocktails and cocktails that yeah. are good for a bar right they're both mm -hmm. cool like if you want to make a amazing cocktail at your home because you're just into doing cool shit and making yep. stuff look pretty that's great post that on instagram mm -hmm. but like to try and execute like that in a busy bar environment it's not it's not real. sustainable no not it's sustainable. not sustainable that's a better word yeah um yep. yeah and i think that's an interesting point and i also think bringing it back to what you're saying earlier like what are we trying to do in these bars and restaurants are we trying to outdo the last guy who made a fucking smoking cocktail with a week-long garnish um or are we trying to provide a good experience for the guests yeah i think so that the abc that you know i always uh, get back to it sometimes and uh, because you know sometimes when you talk to people that have been in the industry for that long uh, or you read a good book uh, or yeah. you talk to a personality a celebrity in the bar world you know, the ABC is like uh, the connections and how the person, uh, the experience, like how you were saying, uh, when you go to a bar, you know, uh, you can get an awesome cocktail, but if you are not treated like, you know, uh, no, let's not say well, but if you're not treated uh, in a way that you feel like uh, that you made any connections, then uh, you might go back for the cocktail, but until you make those connections and until you start meeting people, until you, and it's a challenge right now in this world, you know, with COVID-19, but uh, the connections are where we go out, um, where we uh, socialize in the way that we do. Having a great drink is just makes it to the next, it makes it to the next level, right? You are like uh, enjoying a great cocktail and the company of other people 
that's pretty much uh, that's the ABC, right? Like uh, making the connections, going out, try to create a conversation is really important. It's really hard sometimes because you your mindset uh, behind the bar, especially if you're busy, try to make the connections with people you don't have time. But right. if you have the time, it's important. Uh, I've been to so many different bars, you know, uh, and sometimes like uh, when it's busy, I do really understand that the connection is, is you know, it's hard to get that connection. Right. But when you go to a bar that people know you and... And of course, like you know, when you become a bar figure, uh, uh, as as you uh, you are, and other people that work in the area, right? In Kitchener, mm-hmm. Waterloo, uh, Toronto, uh, I live in Stratford, so mm-hmm. in Stratford too. Then everybody knows you in a way, right? Like yes. because yeah. they, they know who you are. But it's different for the regular uh, uh, customer, right? Right. They they don't they don't have that connection and right. creating that connection. Oh, have you met? Uh, this person, that person. So then like they have it and and people can start calling from their names. And it's a big difference when somebody goes to a bar and say, hey, how are you doing? Like, yeah. uh, and calling. Uh, so anyways. Well, and I think big... that, yeah, sorry, not, not to interrupt, but I think that like um, to, to piggyback on your point there, um, I think people do go to bars for, if they think the cocktails are amazing, I think people do go to bars if they think the bar is cool and the atmosphere is cool. I think that's the basis of how you start. But if you want return guests, return customers, regulars, it's that people aren't coming back to your bar over and over again just because you you make a good drink. Like they're coming back for the personal connection. And yep. because, yeah, that, that, that's what's going to bring people back. And I don't care if you're a dive bar or mm-hmm. uh, or a cocktail lounge where you're selling drinks for $20 for a cocktail or whether you're a dive bar where you're selling Bud Light and shots of Jaeger for $3, that it, mm-hmm. it really comes down back to like people like connecting. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I think so. I, th- I think it's the, yeah, um, I agree. Uh, and uh, by the end of the day, sometimes we mix uh, a little bit too much of the, the show. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, people love fire. Let me tell you this. Every <laughs> single time that I get the torch and the absence, it's yeah. just like... <sighs> oh, I know. I have people it's, request it. Oh, like, well, last time I was here, your bartender put on a show, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. I'll get the absence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always the same uh and there's not whatever people dig that and like they might bring mm-hmm. but but once you've seen that show you've seen it and then so why mm-hmm. are you coming back the next time right yeah okay. yeah that, exactly. i think that's it um i, I want to touch a little bit about more about what you were saying about the complexities of be, becoming like a bar figure uh, can you explain mm-hmm. a little bit more what you mean by that well yeah uh, so the complexities because uh, you know a lot of uh, as soon as uh, as you are a target uh, in terms of uh, people see you in a different way as a bar figure, uh, you know, a, a lot of, uh, I call it like a lot of bartenders develop this kind of personality that is really uh, in a way uh, slightly egocentric because everybody comes to them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the majority of the servers, they go to people. Mm-hmm. And for the bartenders, for a long time, everybody goes to them, right? Right, and, that's interesting, yeah. And uh, in terms of like that uh, psychology of uh, 
seeing that bar figure there all the time because pretty much you know when when you make uh, your way through and you are at a, in the bar like five days a week six days a week some owners there's still bar t- there are bartenders for mm. i don't know they do it seven days a week mm-hmm. so you become a bar figure right mm-hmm. like you, they know your face they know who you are they know your skills uh, and uh, people around the city that you work or or the t- your town they know that you are that bar figure so the complexity behind that is like uh, that no matter what you do every single day they expect the same show at right. the same level right. and the same performance and they you you have like some sort of a, a an understanding of that in a way but at the same time everybody thinks that you know them too right oh yeah uh, for sure yeah so uh, it is it, complex because you know I had so many people stopping me in the middle of the street and I don't know who they are right and yeah, no offense to them yeah. beautiful people but yeah. at the same time like you're like well uh, I see sometimes like you know hundreds of people in a night yes uh, so it is really hard to to you know to keep every single name registered there yeah. uh, keep every single moment uh, and it, it, the complexity of that it, it goes beyond of uh, what a human mind can achieve to because yeah you cannot remember everybody no. it's impossible I remember um like when I first started going out with my current wife now uh the was, we would walk down the streets and everybody was like oh she's like everybody in this fucking town knows you and i'm like yeah, yeah but, exactly. I know, but i know so few of them like i because when you are because <laughs> when you are super busy like yeah like i can't remember every fucking face and and i want to i wish i could i wish i could remember all their faces i wish i could remember mm-hmm. all their names i wish i could remember when they come back six months later to the bar mm-hmm. and they're like and, but you can see the disappointment and almost like it almost pisses them off that you mm-hmm. don't remember them. And I'm like, it's yeah. not personal. It's just, I see so many faces like, and, and, mm-hmm. and forget names. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how we're supposed to remember the names. No, it's hard. It's, it's really hard. So yeah, uh, that's one of the topics, you know, that I think is so really challenging and uh, mm-hmm. becoming a bar figure. The other one is family and work. Right. Uh, uh, you know, the people that have, uh, they, they have families that, you know, sometimes I wake up really early uh, to get my kids to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm at, at 4 p.m. there at the bar. And, you know, it, it is really challenging sometimes because, uh, you know, sometimes we finish at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., depending yes. how busy it is. Then you, need hard, to go to, yeah. Yeah, right. then you need to go to bed. And then you need to. Uh, so it's some challenges that are like nobody can see. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's, hard, it's hard to have a life when you work in our industry. Uh, like it is because the sleep is just not there for you. Like, I don't know if, if you're if you're the same as me and like most people I know, like you can't come home from work and just shut it off and go right to sleep. Like you need a little. No, time, no. Right? So it's like like you come home at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. That means you're not going to sleep. Let's say. Let's say you get home at 3 a.m. Back in the days when we were still allowed to be open till 2 here in Ontario. Like, you get home at 3 a.m. That's a good night. That's a pretty early night to get home. And then you're not going to bed at 3 a.m. You're going to bed at 4, 4.30, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's impossible to go straight to bed, like, yeah. after a busy night, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're, you're just wound up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's, so, that's why we drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... It, 
like other other part of that too of family and work. It, you know, for so many years, I I try to explain to my wife too, like you know, I cannot operate the same way that other families do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Friday and Saturday for me is Sunday and Monday, yes, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, for example. Uh, I, I got invited to family events and I said, well, I can't go uh, yeah. unless we do it on Monday, uh, sorry, Sunday, Monday. Yeah. And especially uh, when I was a new bartender too, uh, you know, the the the, comp- uh, the society pretty much works from Monday to Friday. We yep. don't, right? Okay. Like, uh, we, we don't do it that way. And uh, that, that always was like, you know, a, a little bit challenging. I, I imagine that it's really challenging for other bartenders too. Yep. Uh, try to find that balance between family and it's important to have that hobby too outside of work because right. it's it's healthy right uh, yes. uh, even try to go you know and do something different that is not working it, it's just important but anyway i think so that's part of my family and work uh, uh, you know it, it's a challenge uh, uh, especially because you want to be at the bar from tuesday or wednesday to saturday right the main nights Right. For a bartender missing a Friday and Saturday night, it's actually really hard. Like yeah. they because it's like that musician that didn't go to the concert, right? Like Yeah, they, yeah. Yeah. You like all your other friends who have regular jobs, there's like, yeah, everything they want to do. If you want to go do that, that means A, you're taking off a night of work, which might like uh, is going to be a busy night, which probably the place you work at doesn't want you to do that. But secondly, yep. you're giving up a lot of money and then going and spending a lot of money. Right, exactly. so it's, mm-hmm. it's a double whammy. But I like going back to what you're saying about the family and work thing too. Like, I, do you also find that when you get to Sunday, like, okay, now your family wants to do some shit because mm-hmm. it's Sunday, but you're just like almost oh. peopled out, like emotionally yeah. exhausted. Like, I don't know if I can talk to any more people. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You want to avoid crowds because you have yeah. been exposed to, to so much people during the weekend oh. that you you are like exhausted you know your yeah. energy is gone yeah you just much. don't have anything to offer it's like a, i'll go to a family event but i'm just like a zombie and mm-hmm. then it's like i remember when i first got together with my current wife that like we would go out and have to spend time with her family and they would be like oh kept so quiet yeah, <laughs> yeah. she's like well yeah. not around me and i'm like yeah was <laughs> like fuck i just spent four straight nights maybe five like talking to people who I don't even know like mm-hmm. and trying yeah. to make conversation and I'm I'm shitty at small talk in the best of times so like yeah yeah it is it is a yeah it takes a lot of energy from you that's for sure so I, I think it's a relevant topic uh, because like we function in a different way and like you mentioned it too like it's pretty hard to skip Friday and Saturday yeah uh, because you know there are days that they're pretty much 60 percent or, or 70 in some places uh, percent of their income, especially for bartenders, comes mm-hmm. in Friday and Saturday. Yep. Yeah, I know, and it's and, and like so, and all this fun stuff happens on Friday and Saturday. So exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we have given up like a a big portion, like to do our job, and obviously we're still doing it at our ages because we love it. Like we mm-hmm. we decided to give that like that shit up so that we can keep doing what we're doing but it sometimes it's a sacrifice man like the mm-hmm. you said, like a concert you wanted to go to or all yep. your friends are getting together on a saturday night there's a party and like you just gotta weigh the ones 
every now and then there's a certain one that you're just like, you know what, I'm going to do that. Like, I'm going to take, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to take the hit, but yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. No, no, it's not. Um, hey. So let's talk a little bit about, um, so just to backtrack a little bit after you, 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 you guys at some point moved to Vancouver. Is that mm -hmm. accurate? how old were you when yep. that happened? Uh, I was like uh, 26, 20, okay. 25, 26. Yeah. And that's when you kind of decided to break into the industry a little bit. Was that by happenstance or did you make a decide or a decision to do that? Well, like, uh, so how it happened, uh, it's like as a new immigrant in Canada, mm -hmm. like I was like really uh, turning to, uh, you know, I, I was playing music uh, in some restaurants and bars, mm -hmm. uh, trying to, because, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I spent like 15 years playing with different bands and uh, so I, I knew how to find a way in the music industry, but it was really hard to break through as well, uh, especially in a new country. I was dealing with so many things. So anyway, I went to one of those uh, uh, places that they help new immigrant, newcomers, or how do you, how do you say newcomers? Yeah, sure, newcomers, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, they told me, oh, what we have for you is a factory job. I said, no, right. thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you this. I love culture. I know, as a matter of fact, that if I want to learn more of the Canadian way of living, about experiencing... Uh, uh, you know, or the this new culture, I, I need to be involved in in something that definitely uh, represents what I want to do, or or that I can uh, excel who I am. Right? We how uh, I don't know, like a factory job, pretty much. You know, you, you don't go in, you're not gonna make any connections. You know, because connections, no. everything's all connections by the end yeah. of the day. And so it's anyway, not, it's not, not creative. That's the other thing, right? There's no way to yeah. use your creativity during a job like that. And just as yep. an aside, well, a friend of the podcast and uh, former guest Paige Henderson has now gone from the industry back into working at a factory. But we'll get her back. We'll get her back. If you're listening, Paige, you're coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue though. So anyway, uh, so then I started like uh, applying for different jobs and uh, it was a guy that gave me a great opportunity in one of the best places in, in the, it was a nice uh, fine dining spot in, it was called Beyond Restaurant in Vancouver. Uh, I think so, Burrard Street, across uh, to the St. Paul's Hospital. Mm. Really cool, they had a really, really cool bar there. So I was helping the bar uh, and I, as soon as I, got into that job, uh, I just knew what I wanted to do. I want to become, a, a, you know, a, a mixologist. Right. So then I started, like, studying, and I went to uh, my first bartending school. Uh, I was like, you know what, like, if I want to take this serious, I, I want to try to do it mm -hmm. the right way. So I went to my first bartending school there uh, in Vancouver, and right after that, I got a job uh, in uh, in the Winter Olympics in uh, for one of their their big events, like uh, so, uh, the VIP uh, the VIP bar at the Sushi House, and, and it was pretty funny. It was one of the those jobs that you're like, really? Are you hiring me? Like, are you yeah, sure? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah we, we need you. I said, oh, fine. Like sometimes it was so cool that you know so much going on. It, it was kind of like a dream 
the company, what's the name of that company again? It's a company that culinary, culinary capers, culinary capers. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So they, they, it's a big company that they do this stuff around the world. So after I did my, so my, just uh, sorry, just for for the guests, uh, for the listeners, sorry, um, I still call them guests. I call everybody guests now. Uh, <laughs> for the listeners, so that's uh, essentially a giant catering company that got hired yes. to to work the Olympics in Vancouver. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So uh, they they actually they they do it around the world. So I was invited to go to London too. Oh, wow. uh, because after that, they, it was London in 2012. Uh, I can't remember right now. Yeah. But they they were they wanted me to be part of the of you know of the crew, uh, and I was like you know uh, I was uh, pretty much thinking to move to Ontario. So uh, I told them uh, you know uh, that I was looking uh, to move and do something different. So anyway, uh, I moved to Ontario after that and. Uh, I uh, got a job in one of the casinos in the area, uh, you know, OLG, really yeah, well yeah. regulated. Yeah. Uh, OLG, uh, and I was there for three years in uh, in one of their facilities. Oh, which I think Elora. Elora. Okay, yeah. so t- I, actually, I'm kind of interested in that because uh, so for those of our listeners in cooler countries like the U.S. where if you work in a casino, it's all, or if you go to a casino, it's all free drinks. It's not that way in, in Canada. Yeah. No, in Canada <laughs> and in Ontario specifically. So, but talk to me about like, we, I, we, I don't think we've had anyone on the show before who's ever worked at a casino, right? So talk to me about the crowd you're dealing with there. Like, uh, the crowd is definitely uh, completely different, right? Than uh, uh, another, uh, another bars, uh, uh, so it, it was mostly, uh, you know, they were there for the game, pretty much, yeah, right? Yeah. Like that was the main reason, the main reason that they were there for. Uh, but uh, it, it was interesting because for me, uh, you know, I was learning a lot about the game on how to approach people. It's mm-hmm. different mentality too. People sometimes they play. The more they play, the less they win. The more they drink. Right, and but do they also right. get angrier or sadder or like? Are you dealing with like yes. a, a rougher? Yes, you, like that's what I, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like you're not dealing with a happy group of people for the most part. How's well, it been, right? so sometimes yes, sometimes not. Uh, so uh, I, I would talk a little bit more about happy or, or you know yeah. or, or or angry. Uh, but in this case, uh, the game, of course, uh, it was a big influence into their uh, uh, behavior. Right, uh, because uh, nobody likes to lose. Right, I, I haven't met anybody. Have you met anybody who likes to lose? No, especially <laughs> during COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, it was a a big factor why they weren't sometimes like behaving. And you know, it, it's still like the facilities are like really well managed. You mm-hmm. know, I, I never worked before under so many cameras. Right, yeah, like yeah, they, no they, doubt. they yeah. can see every movement that I. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't see every movement that I did. Uh, probably after NASA, they're one of the most uh, yeah. well-equipped places. Yeah. So I, just to interject, that probably really curbed your ability to get drunk at work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't a place to get yeah. definitely drunk at work. Like, but uh, so does a job like that, though, I guess what I'm kind of reaching at here is does a job like that really teach you how to deal with guests 
who are unhappy or angry in, in a way that maybe people who haven't worked in the casino haven't had the, haven't had that lesson like I think so. I yeah. think so that especially if you want to learn, right? Because some people don't want to learn, so they won't learn. Yeah. But but yes, I think so that it will teach you how to. Uh, it was so many regulations as well uh, because it's not a regular bar, mm -hmm. so you need to deal with a lot of uh, uh, regulations that are like sometimes absurd. But yeah, uh, like you, can't, uh, but you can't get two drinks at once and whatever, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, and also, uh, you cannot accept like you know uh, American money or other money that it needs to be one hundred percent Canadian, uh, right. right? Like uh, one time, I think so I got in trouble because somebody needed my help, and you know, listen, I'm, I'm a, I mean, I love to help people. Sometimes, uh, especially when you're behind the bar, uh, sometimes servers are busy running around, but people, I don't know why they tend to go to a bartender. It's, well, we were talking about this before. People yeah. come to you, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So uh, somebody was saying, listen, it's a big line there. Uh, you know, I cannot even start playing. And I just want to have a drink. I start playing. I said, you need help? Well, I think it was like $20. I said, fine. Like, here you go. So anyway, I give them uh, 20 Canadian dollars. And they gave me uh, 20 Americans. And I was trying to help. But then they called me later and said, hey, you know, we saw on camera that you... Right. Uh, I changed it. It's on uh, American for Canadians. You cannot do that. Here is an exception. It's a paper and it's signed. It wasn't a big deal, but, but yeah. uh, at the end of the day, it's something that you cannot do there. Right. right. So, right. Uh, huh. so then, okay, so then you eventually moved to Stratford. You come to KW and now you're the bar manager, head bartender at 21 Fur here in Kitchener Waterloo. Uh, mm -hmm. so now you're more involved in like, the like i i mean now you're involved in everything right the like yep. the, the, how, the face of the bar you're the face of the bar you're the face of the you're you're creating cocktail menus you're dealing with the cocktail mm -hmm. program, et cetera. talk to me a little bit about your how you feel uh the best way to develop a menu is yeah so uh, i worked through after i quit the casino uh, mm -hmm. i worked through different places that uh, helped me to uh, develop a uh, the skills mm -hmm. to uh, project that into 21 fair. Right. Uh, so I went through different places, kind of like similar uh, kind of a layout, like they were small, uh, you know, approachable for customers to interact, right? And, uh, so anyway, uh, what was the question again, sir? Oh, just what I was going to talk about, like, because uh, I like to ask people on the show about, like, what, like, what, what is... What do you think goes into developing a, a like a great cocktail menu? Yeah, exactly. So uh, developing uh, the positive part is like, you know, what it makes a good menu is a variety of cocktails, spirits, you know, ingredients. Uh, if you can find something obscure, people are going to appreciate that. If you can mm -hmm. have different techniques, you can appreciate that, right? Like Because when you're building a cocktail, if all of them look the same, all of them look red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you're like, oh man, like you know, yeah, that's that's a red collection, right? Like so. Anyway, trying to from the moment that you know the color, uh, spirits, uh, ingredients, uh, if they are local, uh, that, that's that's a good, uh, a positive things to have. Uh, uh, I think so. Incorporating classics into the menu as well, I think so. It's important. 
Uh, um, uh, uh, let me stop you there for one second, uh, just because I, I I feel this way very much. Um, but like we're talking about uh, incorporating classics in the menu and going back to what you and I were talking about earlier in this conversation is like everything comes from the classics, right? So if mm -hmm, you're not, if exactly. you're not, yeah, if you're not incorporating them in, what are you doing really? Exactly. So. Uh, my approach always to a menu is like I always split the menu in half. Mm -hmm. I always have uh, whatever, let's say I have 20 cocktails, right? In a menu, I always do 10 classics and 10 craft cocktails. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I think so that it helps a lot in terms of the inventory as well. Because a lot of classics are like the shelf stable. They're shelf stable, you know what I mean? Like uh, they, the ingredients are not going to get bad. Right. Uh, craft cocktails, sometimes they are, uh, you know, especially if they're spirit forward, you can keep them grease for a long time, but uh, anything that is juice or, or you know, that is sometimes uh, some products like, you know, foams, uh, air, this and that. Shit goes they, bad, yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So uh, splitting the menu in half is, is a good approach uh, in terms of inventory, right? Mm -hmm. Like Because then you don't need to have uh, 20 cocktails or, or 15 that are only craft cocktails. Right. And uh, I think so. It's a good, it's a good uh, platform to also educate, uh, you know, customers and staff as well or, or yourself. And mm -hmm. because you know it's impossible so many classic cocktails out there it's books books and books libraries of them yes so uh, okay well i actually want to ask you about that as well but let me but while we're still on the notion of the um creating the menu and like things going bad or whatever like i i i feel like this has become a bit of a problem in craft cocktailing mixology uh, from an owner's <laughs> perspective where it's like like the more you do and the more you reach and the more ingredients you're putting out there, the more likely you are to waste and yeah. waste yeah. is money. Right. So, mm -hmm. of course. So, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that. Like what if, like what, what's the best way to handle that? Like you want, you, you obviously want your signature cocktail list. Uh, but how do you, how do you deal with that? If you're offering like say, <laughs> what's the, what, I guess maybe what I'm asking is what's, what's the perfect number? to have classics and signature? I think so that, uh, you know, the perfect number, it depends on the bar and the structure and, the, and the, also the, the business. Uh, uh, the business model, say, yeah. The business model too. Yeah. If, you, if you're running a bar with a, a five bar chef, every single one of them is making one cocktail, yeah, for sure, you can have a huge list. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if that business model works in a big city, uh, fine, you're, you're good. Uh, if you're running the bar with, you know, uh, with two bartenders or three bartenders uh, plus some servers, uh, then you need to you need to make sure that you know you don't waste too much money on uh, inventory costs here and there. Like, so it's a, so it's all about like the scope of. The program you're trying to run, are you are you that place? Are you a cocktail place or are you a bar that has cocktails? And yeah, then, exactly. And then what is the size of your city? Like how many mm -hmm. people are going to come through the door, right? Yeah, like I mean, like, it's a lot of variables there, but yeah. I think so that uh, the talking about the menu, let's talk about the menu. Yeah. Uh, I think so. The negative or the challenges to look for is like 
uh, that sustainability, you know, uh, I mean, like when you talk about something that is sustainable, it's really easy, uh, you know, you think, okay, did I really need that new equipment, right? Right, yeah, yeah. To yeah. wow my guests again because somebody else is doing it? Right, yeah. Should We've, I follow trends, right? Like, yeah. We talked to, we, we, we talked to, uh, sorry, not to interrupt you, but we talked to yep. Joey Smith a couple weeks back and he works at, uh, I can't, I, this is bad, but I won't be able to remember the name of the bar, but the guy who owned the bar wrote that book. Um, uh, what's, oh, no, I can't remember that was the name oh, of the book. Uh, uh, well, this is yeah. great hosting right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, um, uh, working with, um, science and in cocktail making right uh, dave arnold uh yeah that's right yeah yeah dave so arnold, yeah, yeah yeah that's uh, right the name of the book is oh thank called, you you're gonna help uh, me liquid intelligence liquid intelligence yes yeah yes. so he joey, well, i have all the all the books. yeah yeah so joey yeah. was joey was on and he he worked at the bar that dave owned and okay and we were talking about um in that like in that conversation about like one thing I learned once I became an owner is the importance of cross-referencing your ingredients with like, so, so a way to, to sustain it is to like, if, if you're going to use a certain number of ingredients in a cocktail, well, you should probably also use them in the kitchen. So, yep. so then you're, there's way less waste, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. That, that's a great approach. Uh, I, I really feel like, you know, in a world, the world that we live right now, if you're you're not applying the sustainability into the picture, mm -hmm. then you are especially like just, now. Yeah, yeah, you're you're wasting your time, money, and uh, energy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I think so that uh, always searching for new ingredients, that's actually not sustainable. Uh, right. We cannot find this bark from the middle of this island in the Caribbean. <laughs> we got there by boat and all the towers, that tree. That's, yeah. that's really And this goes back to what we that's were talking about. Yeah, this one goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where it's like, what are we trying to do here? Like, yeah. are, 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 am I showing off for other bartenders? Because I guarantee you, the guests don't give a shit about that. Oh, for sure not. No. So, yeah. the, so local sources are actually over one probably right now because everybody mm -hmm. wants to do local, local. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, so, oh, okay, fine, yeah, but uh, okay, you can grow, uh, sus growing sustainable, it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, that now you're gonna, boom, blow it out of the, I mean, like, it's hard for small businesses too and local uh, farmers to grow everything local, right? Like, yeah. oh, why we don't grow this, oh, why don't we don't grow that, so that's, they need to grow or in an organic way. So I think so something just to not only talk about negative thing, it's like sure. I, I built a garden mm -hmm. in my house here. I have a, a big garden and I plan all everything that I thought that it might be useful. Yeah, right, for, there you in terms go. Of, yeah. In yeah. terms of flowers, uh, some ingredients uh, that uh, I, I actually planted some hops, uh, you know, nasturtiums, uh, pansies, uh, borage flowers so i mean like it's always that you can uh, uh, find that sustainability without overwhelming the system right like right. so anyway that's something positive but uh what i want to go back is to the yeah, sure. new, new equipment i love oh, yeah, yeah, new yeah. Equipment. yeah like okay fine instagram actually is doesn't help uh, no. <laughs> uh, tv doesn't help either uh, so youtube like 
as a bartender or, or having a, a bar, it doesn't mean like always following every single trend, right? right. You need to follow the one that is good for you. Uh, and I think so that's hard mm-hmm. because customers go around and they say, oh, why are you not doing what these guys are doing there? Right. It's pretty cool. I tried this cocktail and, as, you know, yes, it's yeah. really awesome. Oh, yeah, you get that all the time. Yeah. Uh, so, well, you know, let's say, oh, well, you know, I'm a provision bar. In the 1920s, you know, they didn't have this thing. Exactly. Oh, my God, you're <laughs> preaching to the choir here, my friend, because I've, I've said that all the time. I'm like, I own a speakeasy. And people are yeah. like, oh, fuck. Like, I went to his bar in Toronto and they had a 50 cocktail list. I'm like, yeah, do you think they had that during Prohibition? No, yeah. they were trying to get motherfuckers drunk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, like, you know, the approach of bitter spirits uh, uh, is mostly what... so. Yeah, you cannot call yourself something and then do everything. Like, it's right. impossible. It's, no. it's not sustainable. Just start right there. That's right. And, and at the same time, it's like in 1920s, 1930s, they, they were still using the old hand, uh, crushing ice by hand, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the blender thing, yeah, you have a, a bar from the 90s. Yeah, bring the blender out. But yes. you don't need a blender, as no. an example, a $500 blender to, to just satisfy those customers at one those uh, the die curies or you know yes. sloppy cocktails right uh, uh, you don't need to do that you need to follow that trend so no. i believe in that right okay let me let me ask you something else because i know you've done some of this um competitive bartending um do you think and i'm just throwing this out there do you think there's many ways that competitive bartending have been a great influence on the industry and we've talked about this several times on the show we've had lots of competitive bartenders on here um in a way that it brings a community of bartenders together and they learn mm-hmm. from each other, et cetera. That's great. Yep. Do you think, and I'm just positing this theory right now, but do you think that in a certain way it's had a negative influence on the industry as well? What goes back to what we were talking about where every bartender is just trying to outdo the last one? Yes, for sure. hundred uh, percent. Well, competitions, they should be friendly, mm-hmm. you know, they should be our learning. They should be our interacting and uh, meeting new people, new f- uh, fellow coworkers or whatever. Uh, I think so that uh, in nowadays they are like just a race, you know, to see who can achieve that, right? Like who can get the trophy. I think so that you you're right. Like uh, I I don't think so they're bringing what they used to bring before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just a platform of people like trying to learn from each other uh, I don't uh, again like just because you want a competition one day at one hour at one moment that you had a great performance because mm-hmm. we can have our days sometimes yeah. behind the bar you feel yeah. invincible right yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're like oh my god I'm the best day ever right like, yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, and, I'm the king uh, yes. of the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But some yeah. days you are not into, you know, you yeah. just don't get it 100% how you want. Yes. And that's that's the point uh, that I call the, you know, uh, that's uh, the misconceptions of of bar service. You mm-hmm. know, uh, not every single time I, I I feel in the spirit of putting that flame up to the roof, right? right. <laughs> uh, because we are human. Uh, yes, we are okay. We're allowed to make mistakes. That's the difference between us and machines, right? So, uh, I I think so. Yes, that uh, that 
that award of winning a competition is just that day. Yeah. Congratulations. That's it. <laughs> right. Yes. And great. And that's great. And, and, I, and I, I'm very firmly behind this notion that it brings all these bartenders together and they learn from each other and push each yeah. other. That's great. What I, what I, what I'm getting at is that it's now if I think it's had a larger impact on the industry as a whole than just the competition that you're in. When you're in a competition, that's the point of a competition. It's competitive. You are trying yeah. to, you are trying to best the other person, but it's had an effect on the entire industry as a whole, where now you've pushed that into individual bars, where it's like yep. I'm, our bar needs to be better than this bar, or our like yep. when really what it was, that's all just fuck, that's all just us jerking each other off. Like what? Like yep. why aren't why? Like it has no effect on the guest, and what? No, the whole point of the industry is the guest. Do you agree with that? I, I think so. I think so. I agree. Like this is the same thing that uh, the Michelin star, you know, yes. uh, yeah. program. Yeah. So okay, fine. Hey, what do you want to achieve? You want to achieve this? Well, fine. It's okay if somebody else doesn't want to achieve that, right? Right. Uh, it, and and this has nothing to do with mediocrity because no. one thing is to be uh, mediocre, and the other thing is to. Uh, feeding for from all these titles right yes like you can spend years trying to achieve something and yeah after that it's not you don't get any satisfaction yes and mediocrity is the worst thing that we can be doing like everyone should be trying to achieve like the highest standards possible but for yeah. the for the guests not for our own egos yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so yeah you, there you're right like it's a personal ambition mm -hmm. rather than a good for the business, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I, I, you know, I, I personally think that uh, competitions are a friendly thing. If you can approach them that way, then uh, is uh, you know, you're, you're not helping to, you know, to a new bartender to understand that uh, you have, uh, you know, a better goal in life than winning a competition. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. winning a competition is one day, one hour, one yeah. moment that it just went right for you. Yeah, and it, and it's cool. It honestly is. If you can impress a group of your own peers, that is something. But it's That's not. Cool. But it's not what we do. No, of course not. Like I think maybe it's time to look at the competitions as a cool thing that you do separately from what the what we do as an industry. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Like like let's say you're a high school gym teacher. But, and that's what you do. You're trying to teach kids the basics. And then in your off time, you play in a fucking campus rec basketball league and you won it. Well, that's great. Mm -hmm. But those are two separate things. Yep. And you need yep. to look at them that way. Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay, so there's one other topic. So, I know the point I have before yeah, we yeah, close yeah. the budget. Yeah. I haven't seen one cocktail in a competition at a bar. <laughs> No, because they're usually so expensive. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this yeah. well, is spending like three months to create yeah. one cocktail. That if you put that at a bar, the cost uh, is so high. There is no yeah. way that you can make any money out of it. One hundred percent. And and that and and also, let's not denigrate the competition. That's a cool thing to do. If you can spend all that time creating one perfect cocktail, that's fucking awesome. But that's yeah. not what that's not what we do when we go to work. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Not even close. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's more complex than that. That's for sure. Yeah, there's one other topic I wanted to touch on you uh, on mm -hmm. with you on um, before we before I let you go today, 
Uh, and thanks for giving us your time on a Sunday afternoon. We just talked oh. about how, uh, how this is difficult for us. Um, so I want to talk about education because you have uh, like very much made an effort to educate yourself in several different ways. Levels of W said, which for those who are listening from out of country or wherever or don't know or, or people who are not in the industry don't know what it is, that's, that's wine education. Um, you've done w said with spirits as well um you've you've made it you've made and that you just talked about your your personal library about all of about cocktail creation well, you have all the books right so mm-hmm. talk to me about the importance of education on perfecting your craft yeah it's yeah that's a, that's a good point i think so that uh you know, it takes, it's, it's really complex uh, in terms of like the education part, uh, you know, you need to do that on the side, like yeah. pretty much. Uh, it's a few jobs that might pay for all your education, but uh, it's rare to see it. Mm-hmm. It's really rare, uh, especially because uh, you need to prove too that that's going to add something into your uh, life, uh, I mean, into your work uh, that they will be able to say, yeah, that's that's going to be a beneficial uh, thing for for us. So yeah, let's pay for it. Mm-hmm. Or so you need to invest a lot of time and money into uh, you know uh, books, spirits. Because I haven't met one bartender that is good that doesn't have a collection of spirits at home. Yeah, that's actually one of my first questions when I'm going to hire somebody. How many spirits you have at home? Right. Oh, oh. oh, yeah, I have like, you know, I have this, this, that, blah, blah, blah. And, oh, cool. You know, that's a good point. Because like then uh, you can see that they're developing this passion of creating a collection of spirits that only bartenders uh, know. And then when you have the ability to make some stuff at home, then you have, a, you know, something ahead of anybody else. The mm-hmm. person that doesn't do that at home, that doesn't do that or doesn't have the space to mix, uh, would never get would never get good at uh, you know uh, understanding the the cocktails uh, code pretty much right right so because it takes a little bit of time mm-hmm. uh, so uh, saying that like yes you need to invest a lot of money uh, a lot of bartenders are bar figures they have their own personal bars at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, they invest in books in uh, courses like I have like a, a bar chef certification as well mm-hmm. uh, and I went through different uh, you know uh, 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 weeks of learning spirits and, and mm-hmm. uh, how, do you, how do they call it? I forgot the name right now but anyway it's like becoming like you know uh, not a master but you know almost similar in different spirits and analyze them from production to mm-hmm. a, a flavor profile. Uh, so it's so much to learn that it's, it's impossible to do it. I mean, you can teach that to your yourself, but no, like you definitely need to, uh, you need to go to school and learn through other people too, that uh, the, because, Again, like from spirits to flavor profile, it's a book that is called the Flavor Bible. I don't know if, if yeah. you have read it before, but yeah, yeah. anyway, it is kind of important for every single person that is creating drinks or or is in the 
you know, uh, in the learning process to understand what is flavor profiles and how uh, they affect to each other for positive or negative. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a long road uh, that you don't get paid to do all this stuff. No, this is something you're doing for yourself on the side, but that's what I mean. Like, I, I guess what I'm getting at is like how, like you obviously feel this is super valuable. Like, mm-hmm. and, and do you think that it's the combination of like, buying the books and reading the books as well as taking the classes? Like, are they equally important? Is one more important than the other? I think so that, uh, that that's a good question. You know, uh, I think so part of be, uh, part of being good, maybe in, in what you want to create in terms of, uh, uh skills is, uh, is being good to identify what do you need and what you're like, what's your weak spot now? Mm. and create that uh, your strong because your strong point uh, uh, and go out there try to find the information that you need to learn right uh, I actually uh, this kind of links into uh, the misconceptions I think so that I have with uh, uh, the uh, uh, the details of our service and in order to in order to be good at something, you always need to be hungry for to. I mean, you need to want to. You need to learn more every day. Every day, I right. want that, right? Yeah. So in any in any field, in any field. So at a certain point, if you have a team that doesn't want to learn anymore because they think that they know everything, then I'm just for you. You're never gonna be uh, excited. You're never yeah. gonna be productive. You're never gonna be. Because if you don't have that learning uh, hunger, mm-hmm. then the team doesn't uh, doesn't go ahead. Everybody says, "Oh yeah, we know this, we know that, uh, whatever." Right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, well, if you know at all, like, then what? What are you working for? Uh, yeah. Uh, what uh, are you so, heading? So talk to me about that when you're training your staff, and I'll let you go soon. You're giving us a lot of time, but like when you're training your staff in that level, because you're always going to get people who don't care about it as much as you do. So, yeah. so how do you, like, how, like, you just, like, I know you say you have like, okay, what, if you're going to hire someone, what do you have on your shelves? What have you read? Whatever. But like, once they're, once you've hired them, how do you get someone as excited as you are? Well, uh, that's, that's a good, that's a good topic to talk. Uh, I actually have that into the misconceptions or the intricacies of bar service. Mm-hmm. And in order to have a great bar service, you need to, it's, it's like a, a good machine, right? It's a factory, pretty much. You're assembling cocktails. Mm-hmm. Uh, people know what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but a good team is necessary, right? Because your mm-hmm. team is your asset. Uh, you can have the best ice machine in the whole world. Yeah, the ice is beautiful and nice, but who is bringing the cocktail, right? Who is making right. it? Right. So, uh, training is always good, but the staff is always needs. They always need to be engaged. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, in learn day to day to drive that team towards something new, towards a new direction. Uh, the complexity that you have around that too is that uh, you know uh, when when you are like when, when service is never sometimes predictable, sometimes it's not. So creating a good team, uh, you know, you're you're setting up yourself for success because then maybe you are not the only person who's going to be fixing problems here and there. They are going to work together 
as a team to fix all the problems that comes along. Right. So that, that's you, really important. But how do you create the team is, I guess, what I'm getting at. Yeah. So uh, to create the team, basically, you need to find uh, what you need and what your your weak link and then try to find that person and train them, them pretty much towards a success. Really easy to say than done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so by identifying what you need, let's say you are missing a bartender that can definitely excel the drinks as you do, mm-hmm. uh, then you need to try to find a person. And it's never easy because, uh, you know, uh, people don't, I mean, like the right person doesn't walk through their your shop or your or your bar every day. But uh, understanding what you don't want is important. And if that person doesn't work for you, uh, definitely you need to uh, uh, say, you know, maybe you're not good at this, but you're good at serving, you know? Right, yeah. Uh, so why we don't switch you and, and make them? Because somebody knows pretty much when they're good at something, they know mm-hmm. and they feel happy. So if you're like, listen, why we don't, uh, put you serving that you I can see you're more relaxed more outgoing and you can sell the drinks pretty good uh, and then start searching for that person that uh, you definitely uh, uh, need uh, but again it's not easy and and yeah. that's where uh, some uh, again the bar service uh, a lot of customers think oh uh, you know uh, I don't know service should be this way or that way but it's more complex than that sometimes you don't have the right pieces Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and because you don't have the right pieces at a certain point, it doesn't mean that you are not doing a good job. No, it's just it's just the team. Well, but I, I mean, I have, if you want to make a sports reference, that happens in sports all the time. Sometimes it's not your year. Like yep. the, the, the team doesn't gel together, right? And we're mm-hmm. all we're all just looking to make the perfect team. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, like you know, in terms of like. Uh, if you if you go if you're gonna talk about misconceptions, there, uh, customers sometimes they expect perfection, uh, mm. uh, and as they should, frankly, yeah, yeah. Uh, but sometimes uh, sometimes they're pretty, they're really into the you know they they get what you are, so they want that all the time. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's it's really it's not easy. That's what I'm trying to no, say. Like not... to find the right person. No, it's not easy, and I think that maybe, like, if, if there are any people listening right now who are not in the service industry, like, like, like maybe cut us some slack. It's just not easy. This shit's not easy. Yep. We're, try, we're trying to do our best for you, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. And something that I talked before, you know, uh, you move along that I want to talk is about uh, uh, the rating system for bars and restaurants. Oh, God. Uh, and a uh, rating system is, uh, is unfair. Yes. You know, I, I don't think that, you know, uh, it's like definitely unfair and biased. Yes. Uh, also, uh, you know, sometimes uh, we try to do our best, but uh, I don't think so that, you know, uh, we are fairly rated by uh, the right people sometimes. So. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's it's not easy. It's pretty easy to say an opinion mm-hmm. without having the knowledge, or mm-hmm. or it's really easy just to because you don't like a place to leave a bad review. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that 
it doesn't mean anything by the end of the day. Well, just like in any other field, reviewers need to think about it not like, oh, I didn't dig what they were doing. They need to think about it be like, okay, were they doing the best they could do in that situation? Maybe it's not for me specifically, but was it still good? Like if you're if you're mm-hmm. reviewing a record and you're a music reviewer, then mm-hmm. like I like I love music. I can say I'm not really into like new country music, but I can mm-hmm. still recognize if someone put out a perfect new country record. Like for sure. So and I and I think that's kind of what you're getting at is that a lot of these reviewers just make it personal where it's like oh that's not what I like, but yeah. Yeah, but that's not, I mean, that's, that's, not, that's not the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because everybody likes something different. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. So it's something that definitely we need to work uh, in, uh, you know, and uh, I, I, again, like, I don't know why it's only in the bar and service industry. Uh, I mean, restaurants and bars, uh, I, I, I don't know, even Uber has, like, a better rating system. Yeah, that, I guess if, if I would rate some customers that come to the bar, like I will, they will have one star and they will go yeah. to all the places. Yeah, yeah. let's start rating they, customers. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you will be like, oh, you only just rate this guy one star. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. It should be the back and forth. It should be the Uber rating. Well, we can yeah. be like, yeah, well, I would like to rate your ten percent tip despite my dynamite service as a mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, uh, you're, you're touching on some nerves here because Dan lost his watch in an Uber last night. <laughs> <laughs> Yuli, thank you so much for giving us the time today. You're you're a super fascinating dude. You're and you're a credit to the Kitchener Waterloo bar industry. We're lucky to have you in this city. I love you, man. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. Love you too. And okay. you know, it's a pleasure uh, to be here in your program. You guys are doing a great job. I think so. These are platforms that can help us to grow thank you. Uh, as a community and not uh, for personal gain. So thank you. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate yeah. it. Cheers. Okay, Cheers. Have a, enjoy your Sunday. Right. Thank you. Bye, guys. Yeah. Cheers.